Hello, and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We are so excited to bring you this show. Our podcast is all about unraveling all of your favorite mysteries from the Assassin's Creed games. Each episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Assassin's Creed universe. From pieces of Eden, solar flares, and the Isu, to the Hidden Ones, the Order of Ancients, and of course, the Animus, we will seek to uncover it all. So join us, and maybe even take a leap of faith. To the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. My name is Shelby. You might also know me as SheCup. I'm one of the co-hosts for this show, and I'm super excited for our episode today. And I am joined today with my co-host. Yeah, so I am Austin, also known as Teacup, and I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so I um have heard we have a pretty interesting topic today. Our last episode was a patron chat. So the episode before that, we launched the first episode in this new series on the modern day assassin cells and that kind of model of being an assassin and leading a group. So the first one we looked at was Francesco Vicellio's group, which was actually not modern at all. Um, it was from Ezio's time period in the 1400s, right? 14, 15. Yeah, the turn. So, yeah. So um, I'm wondering if today's cell is actually going to be a modern day cell. It depends on your definition of modern day. I'm sure that some people would not consider it modern day, but it is within the 20th century, which... okay. We have never had a game set in the 20th century other than a brief moment in Assassin's Creed Syndicate when you deal with the First World War. Yeah, I mean, it is borderline. I think it's borderline. But it is like, it's so I'll tell you, the cell is set between the late 50s and early 60s. And that is kind of the beginning of a lot of the trends that we see that kind of set up at least in our own American history of where, even where we are now, a lot of that began in the fifties and sixties. Sure. Absolutely. And like, you know, that makes total sense because I feel like world war two really changes everything or yeah. at least world war two and the great depression, both kind of change everything um, worldwide, not just, not just in America. So I feel like this era of 10, 15 years after the end of World War II, kind of, that makes sense that this would be an era where we're setting up new patterns, new ways of like living, having a country, and also new ways of being an assassin. Right. All right. Well, are we ready to just kind of dive in today? I think we are. So we are looking at the Bloodstone unit, which can be found in the book Assassin's Creed Bloodstone. So that's the primary source of where the like where all this source material and story comes from. So if you were planning on reading those books or don't want and don't want to be spoiled with those books, just, you know, skip this episode and come back to it later. 
So the Bloodstone unit, as I said, operated mainly in the 50s and 60s. It's mainly involved in the Vietnam War and the Kennedy assassination. We'll get to that later. Um, it operated in the Cold War with relations between the USSR and the United States. It is often considered an extremist terrorist organization and is technically not an official part of the Brotherhood. It is not a s official sanctioned unit of the Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. So I have questions already. Uh -huh. Yeah. Number one, first question is, are they actually terrorists or are they just given that label like by political enemies? I'll let you decide. Okay, we can revisit the question at the end then. Yeah. Um, okay, great. Second question is, if they're not an official cell sanctioned by the assassins, what does that mean? Does that mean that, like, the members, they are all assassins, but their group, like, they've just done too many things wrong and they're not, they're not allowed to be, like, an official group anymore or something else entirely? We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh they all are technically assassins. What do you mean by technically? They either they are or aren't, right? They have never been dismissed or left to the Brotherhood. Okay. Similar to like until they actually established the United States as a country, all the like founding fathers were still British citizens. So you ready to meet the team? Let's do it. All right. So our first one is the leader who is Boris Posh, which this name should sound familiar to us a little bit because he is highly involved with the Assassin Brotherhood during World War II. In fact, he is the one who recruits Eddie Gorm and uh, works to establish the infiltration of the Diglock Project and Project Rainbow which is the Germans uh, Manhattan project. You were I'm, looking confused. Well, I was looking confused because I'm going to be honest. I, this name did not sound familiar to me. Eddie Gorm. I do remember Eddie Gorm. I don't remember Mr. Boris. So I'm sorry. Yeah. It's been a long Boris time since we talked about world war two. Right. Boris Posh is the one who he kind of infiltrates with World War Two and World War One, I. I believe he also plays a role in part of the Russian Revolution. He does a lot. I mean, he lives. He lives a long time. He lives like from 1909 to 1980. He saw a lot of a lot of life, like a lot of different changes in life. Right. And, you know, my great grandmother was born in 1912 and she died in like 2007. Mm -hmm. Wow. She was almost 100. I know. And I just I always think about the time that like she saw she lived through World War One, the Roaring Twenties, the Great Depression, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, the Cold, all, the Cold War, the Red Scare all of it yeah, it, yeah it's so interesting and it always makes me wonder like if we live to be a hundred from like you know and people our age um who were born like in the late 80s and the 90s to if if we live to almost 2100 right like 
are we going to think we've seen as much as our grandparents and great grandparents who lived from 1900 to 1980? Like, are we going to are we going to think that about ourselves or right. was that just a unique time period in history? I don't know. I mean, I I feel like I've seen enough in the 30 years I've lived in life. <laughs> um, that's a fair point. That is a fair point. So that's Borsh Posh. He's the leader and he's the one who recruits all these people. And we'll get into why this is not an official sect of the Assassin's Creed Brotherhood in a minute when we talk about the history. So I'm just going to go through the members and we'll get into like how they all come together. So and then we have Aleski Garvani, who is a former Soviet hitman who is then recruited by the CIA to work for the United States instead and posh secretly to the Assassin's Brotherhood. So he he is the first member recruited to the Bloodstone unit. And then we have another. Our next member is Julia Gorm, which that should name again. The last name should sound familiar, as we just talked about. She is the daughter of Eddie Gorm. And here's a content warning for suicide. But she's born the same year that her father killed himself. And she joined the Brotherhood at the age of 20. And she's recruited by Borsh Poss, who basically reveals to her, like, this is what your father did. Like, come and live his memory. Um, because Borish is trying to basically beat the Templars to the Animus. And so he's obsessed with finding an apple of Eden and looking into what he calls memory resurrection. And that would be what exactly? It's the animus. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. It's just what he refers to it as. Just a fancy name for it. Yes. So he recruits Julia, Eddie's daughter, to do this as well. And then we have William Greer, which some of you students of history might know this name. I did not know this name, but this is a real life historical person. He is a member of the Secret Service who was driving the car in Dallas with JFK. Wow, that's interesting. Um, do we know much about his assassin workings? Not really, because he's only a part of the unit. So and after the assassination, he kind of disappears. And so we'll get into that. Suspicious. Very much so. All right. The last one, the next one is uh, Zania. No last name. These last couple are just kind of like names and we don't get a lot of background because they don't appear in other medias. So she does enter into a relationship with posh and we'll get into that later but we don't know much about her and then the other two members are uh dogura and donnie and again nothing is known about them though they do both play central roles in the unit story we just don't get a lot of background about them like they're and even in the wiki like their wiki page is like two sentences Interesting. Why do you think it is that we don't know that much about like half of the members of this unit? Is it just because they're so like secretive and, and want to keep themselves hidden or 
some other reason. I think with most of this information coming from a book, we have to remember that this is likely told from Julia and Boris's and Posh's perspective. And so if they don't know the information, we don't get it in the book or comics that we see, and they don't appear in any other media. So there's not been a place where we can learn about them. Gotcha. That makes sense, at least. So that's the team. Do you have any overarching thoughts? I am really thinking kind of about, you know, some of these people have some connections to some organizations that that the assassins might see as a threat. So it's just kind of interesting to me how, like, And both the Templars and the Assassins do this. It's just really interesting to me how they both will, like, recruit members of the other side, basically, to to infiltrate and basically double-cross people. Um, And I guess I'm just reflecting on i feel like that doesn't end well for anyone because when you do that repeatedly you just kind of end up with people who betray you uh, or people who don't necessarily have any allegiance to either side so you you aren't really getting what you want so i'm just kind of reflecting on the assassin's tendency to to do that and to utilize people who aren't necessarily like super loyal to the assassins no i think that's a total totally a valid point and i think that we kind of see this point really emphasized in assassin's creed 3 with connor in that like he does not trust the patriots he knows they say they fight for freedom but he is like i am not one of you like i do this because you are my best bet for fighting against the templars but if i had it my way i would have nothing to do with you Right, exactly. And I don't necessarily, I don't know if that's the best example, because I don't think that if the roles were reversed and the best way to get Connor's goals across were the British, like, I don't, I don't know if he would support that. Um, I don't know if he would side with them over the Patriots, just because, you know, the Patriots at least put up a front that they would be more respectful of like indigenous um the native tribes than the British did. So I don't know, but I absolutely agree with your point that it, it doesn't really matter like the side, as long as like, they're going to pick the the side or the, the person that most closely aligns with their goals, not necessarily have allegiance to a certain group because of that group. Right. And I think this is the theme we're going to see with the modern assassins in that, they are very much an ends justify the means kind of group. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, I think there are some assassins who would be like, it doesn't matter how we win as long as we win. But I think a lot of the like heroes of the brotherhood would say, no, it matters how you win. I, and I personally, I agree with that. I think it does matter like what you do to get to the end point. Um, And I think that that is the biggest difference between the ancient assassins and the modern day assassins. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, there's so much, like, I feel like, especially with William Miles, and I know we love to hate on William Miles on this podcast, 
But there's so much that he presents himself as he is fighting against the Templars because he hates the Templars and not because he like actually fully believes in the creed. Right. And like, not because he wants the assassins to win either. Right. It's like from, you know, Star Wars, the rise of Skywalker, when he, when Hux is like, I didn't do this. So you'd win. I do it. So Kylo Ren would lose. Which was, I remember watching that and being so disappointed, like, that you just squandered a huge opportunity for an interesting character arc. Like, why would you do this? And I feel the exact same way about William Miles. Right. But yeah. Mm. And like, I think part of the reasons that we hate William Miles is we never really get, like, we don't get to see the scenes where Desmond like becomes okay with him. We only see the conflict. And then, so it's like a zero to six, it's like a 360 turn suddenly, like, oh, Desmond is yelling at William, and now he's like, oh, yeah, like, your dad. And there's no resolving to the conflict there. Yeah, I think that's very fair. But anyway, I think now would be a good time for a break before we get into the overview of all of this. All right, well, let's get into it. My cousin! Shoot! Shoot the flying demon! Malaka! 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 I get the sense you two are ill-fit for whatever it is you're plotting. <laughs> this one takes us for a fool, brother. We sons of Ragnar have this well under control. No, we do not. Sons of Ragnar. I know of many, but never have I heard of dull and duller. So, welcome to the middle of the show. This is where we talk about all the things that have to do with the Assassin's Creed lore cast and not necessarily the lore of Assassin's Creed. So, the first and most important thing we do in our mid-break is thank our patrons. Thank you to all of our patrons who support us financially. We appreciate you so much. You are really um, what keeps the wheels moving on this show. So, we are super thankful for all of you. And we hope you enjoyed our very first patron episode last week. Um, and if you want to get in on those patron episodes make sure you sign up at the master assassin tier um, on our patreon and you can join us in march the next thing that i have to tell you about is if you can't support us financially that's okay we totally get it um we know that not everybody has the finances to be able to give us a little bit over um here as well but the best way you can support us without giving money is by leaving us a rating or a review. And so if you leave us a rating with five stars and some kind words, we will read it out on the show. We do not have one to read today, so make sure you leave us one before next week and we'll read that one out on the show. And then we have some really big news. Um, We have a new thing that we've done over the past couple weeks. We've been working on it. It's a pretty big surprise. Austin, do you want to tell them what it is? Yeah, I can definitely do that and say that. Uh, we have a website. We are launching the website, the cup or just cupspodcasting.com. So you can go there to that website and check it out. You can find links to all of our podcasts there. You can hang out with us. You can find our links to our Discord. You can see a bunch of stuff about us and just all kinds of stuff. And 
more things will come to the website as we continue to branch out and develop. But we have a special thank you. This website was developed for us by one of our Dragon Age patrons named Lewis H, who runs HIT Solutions, Media Solutions. And he designed that website for us. And that's a real special thank you for us. Yeah, we did launch this website. We're pretty pumped about it. You can go there, learn more about us, how we got into podcasting, why we keep podcasting, learn about all of our four shows, um, pretty much anything you could ever want to know about us. You can find it on our website. So make sure you check it out and make sure if you have any website needs, if you need a website for a stream or YouTube or any kind of content you're creating, definitely check out HIT media solutions because lewis is awesome and worked with us in you know just was amazing throughout the process of creating the website so definitely check him out if you need a website um so and like i said like we said the website is cupspodcasting.com so check it out the link will be in the episode description and then the last thing i have to talk about is my playthrough of black flag honestly I I have I have played. I did get really frustrated because I was in this ship battle and could not do it. Like I was I sat down it was last Sunday and I was like, "Okay, I'm going to play for like several hours, knock out some quests, get a move on." And I I was I got into this battle. That was like the next main quest that I had to do. And I swear to God, I tried this battle four times and and was not able to do it. So I rage quit. As as you know, I have a I have a propensity to rage quit. Um and I was like, I just can't do this. So I tried again like Monday or Tuesday and finally finished the battle. But by then it was just so discouraging. I was like, I I got I've got to take a break for a few days. Um so I haven't I haven't made much progress since then. Yeah. Well, do you feel like you're getting kind of a hang of it? I don't know. Do you feel like I'm getting a hang of it? I mean, I haven't really been watching you play, so I can't really say. So it's really just you. Yeah. I don't know. I think I am getting there. Ship combat is just hard. So I've been demoralized. <laughs> right. Well, you'll get it. You used to say you would never get AC3's combat. I, I did say that. I did say that. I did think that truthfully but i got it eventually by the end of the game at the end of the game yeah you did and then you're gonna play through them all and then go back and play through them again and you're gonna have forgotten everything and have to do it all over again i'm gonna keep pushing through yeah you do that all right well that's all i've got for the middle of the show so if you're ready i'm ready to get back to it well yeah let's get back into it me hatham i come in peace why are you speaking so slow? Sorry. What? Um, I, I was told you could train me. No. Go away. I'm not leaving. Yanka! Yanka! Is everything all right? What do you think? Look at this place! And poor Bianca. If something's happened to her... Aha! Oh, my darling. 
Thank God you're all right. Ezio, meet Bianca. Bianca, Ezio. Charmed. So, we've talked about who they are. Now let's talk about what they do. And just spoiler content warning for torture, graphic violence, other things like that. As we've said before, like these do not end happily. These units are not always happy endings or end with people intact. So just there's your kind of content warning going on there. This cell begins in 1957. So if I have my dates right, it's in that weird in-between time between the Vietnam, between the Korean War and the Vietnam War. Like the Korean War is over and the Vietnam War is like kind of starting to brew, but it hasn't really gotten into a national front yet. Shelby can correct me if I'm wrong there. I had to look it up. I had to Google it. Wikipedia says that the Vietnam War started on November 1st, 1955. And lasted through April 30th of 1975. So that's 20 years. I didn't realize it was 20 years. That's a long time. Well, we do not get involved in Vietnam until the late 60s, I'm pretty sure. Because it's not under JFK that we get under Vietnam. It's under LBJ. Yeah, it's under Johnson. And that that happens in 1965. Yeah. So this is before America is involved in the war, but things are happening over in Vietnam with North and South Vietnam and lots of things are happening. And for those of you who might not be history students and like understand like the political things going on around there after World War II, at least in a Western front, the Soviet Union and the United States kind of arise as these two competing superpowers. And they have a vested interest in how many communist countries and how many quote unquote free countries they can have, uh, especially in Europe, in the Middle East and in Southeast Asia. And so the United States starts kind of putting their hands in all of these little countries that are starting to have communist or Soviet influence in them. And North and South Vietnam is one of those places. And that's why we kind of get involved in this Korean War and this free and this and the Vietnam War for those reasons of like fighting against communism, if you want to have all that ideology or whatever. Just a kind of background. It's good to know the actual history of what's going on around here. So in 1957, Pat recruits Gervani and begins training him as an assassin. In February of that year, both men attempt to retrieve an apple of Eden from John von Neumann. Afterward, the CIA director, whose name is Harvey, William Harvey, in conjunction with the American mentor, tasks Posh with forming the Bloodstone Unit. So this is why they're not an official mark of the Brotherhood. The Bloodstone Unit is a arm of the CIA. I will say that, like, there's a lot of conspiracy theory about the CIA at this time and what they can and cannot be involved are not involved with, which I don't know what's the actual truth. I'm just going to present this information. Just remember, this is a historical fiction universe. Yes, very important. So the CIA director, they form the Bloodstone unit and they recruit everyone 
there. The unit was tasked with capturing a Templar ancient agent known as Cooper to help with information on President and for all you people out in Southeast Asia and of that descent, please forgive me. I'm going to try my best, but I've got uh, no dim dime, uh, President Dime. And so they basically, they capture Cooper and they interrogate him. It's at this point that Garvani starts to question Posh about his interrogation methods because they're very brutal, border on torturous. And basically at this point, Posh dismisses him and kicks him out of the unit because he is weak, is what Posh says. You're weak and can't take this. And so Garvani basically is dismissed from there, and it is then that Julia Gorm would then attempt to work to resurrect the memory of her father. So basically, Posh says that, like, hey, if we work with this Apple of Eden and work on this memory resurrection, we can find out what happened to your father and learn, like, what caused his psychosis and everything like that. So that's all kind of setting it up and these are kind these aren't really chronological orders they're just different areas because they're all kind of happening at the same time um at least so at this point william greer never is not in vietnam he is tasked to go to the united states to assist in the assassination of jfk and so Greer would be in the Secret Service at this point, and he would drive the car to Dallas and then take the Apple of Eden, which Kennedy had after he was assassinated, which is just like, at some point you can su suspend disbelief or whatever. But like, Jackie Kennedy, there's no, if this happened, there's no way she didn't see this happen. Even if she was in shock of like watching her husband die and all of that stuff, like she would know something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I also, I'm just curious, have we gone over on the podcast how Kennedy came into the possession of an apple of Eden? Uh, it briefly. So there, remember that they used an apple of Eden to get onto the moon. Oh yeah. So. So he, He's in he's in possession of the Apple of Eden for the moon landing. Right. And all of that. But do we know how he gets it? So it could be assumed because remember, at this time period, especially in World War II, there are several apples floating around. Remember that like Henry Ford is getting one from Germany from Hitler, and there's more circulating around. And I believe at some point FDR gets a hold of an apple. So it's possible that this apple has just been being passed down the presidency since FDR. That is definitely possible. Interesting. And so they take the apple. And this is just the thing of like, it's a continual battle here of like the assassins and Templar still fighting over who can get these apples and control this apple's. Which makes sense because the apple is so key and central to the Templar's plan for a new world order. Now I don't know what they're doing. With that, that's the Kennedy assassination. So by 1963, which I believe that Kennedy is assassinated in 64, right after his second election. 1963, end of. End of. So around the same time, like I said, these are happening 
around the same time. So by November of 1963, Posh assassinates President Dime. This basically causes a domino effect between U.S. relationships with both North and South Vietnam into a point of this leads to our kind of involvement with North Vietnam or with the Vietnam War. So they, they continue to work with the South, South Vietnamese Army, though they were a covert operation. They were more just behind the scenes trying to do that. It is during this time that Julia would succumb to the bleeding effect, similar to her father, um, to this point that she, she believed that she was Eddie and that she needed to kill Posh in revenge for his death, even though Boris Posh isn't really responsible for Eddie's death, but he sent him to infiltrate the Diglog project. So at this point now, we both have Garvani and Julia who are after the group and are now out of the group. So Garvani basically teams up with other assassins because he thinks that Posh is operating outside the bounds of the Brotherhood. And he thinks that Posh is basically breaking the creed of harming the innocents. And so because it's not an official arm of the Brotherhood. So he thinks he's going off the deep end. Right. But can you really claim that presidents who lead in a time of war are innocents? Um, all I can say is that I think what is really what Gervani's issue is the brutal torture of this Templar agent, Cooper, which I guess you couldn't argue that he is innocent because he's a Templar. Like, right. but it's just that he's operating with unusual, like, cruelty. Mm -hmm. And I think it's his obsession with researching the apple on his own that I think is also an issue with Gervani. I mean, I get that. I, I definitely get that. Um, and I think the I do, even though it's not like technically against the creed, it does feel like unnecessarily harsh torture methods go against the spirit of the creed. Yes. And like, I think it comes back to, you know, there's a scene with Ezio and Mario when he kills Vieri and Ezio is yelling at Vieri and... He says, you are not Vieri. Mario says to Ezio, you are not Vieri. Don't become him. Mm -hmm. Don't and sink like, to the level. Right. And I think that could be the argument here with like what you said, the spirit of the creed. So in July of 1964, uh, the unit attempts to escape from their base in the Gulf of Token. And due to Garvani's attempt to hunt down the, due to Gravani's attempt to hunt down the unit and stop their operations. So Pash instructs uh, Dogura to stay behind and destroy all evidence of their presence in Vietnam. Which, you know, this tracks for what we know of like the CIA and when they're involved in there, especially when you think about the Bay of Pigs and all of these things that have happened in other places around the same time. Right, but can you imagine being the member of the team when, okay, like, let's just set the scene here. We're going to gather a team meeting of all of our people, all of our, our group members who are with us in Vietnam, messing things up, 
and we're going to have a team meeting and the leader is going to be like, okay, team, we have achieved our goals. We have completed our tasks. We are going home. And then they ask you to be the one to stay behind. It's like, except for you, you have to stay here and you have to clean up the mess and make sure nobody knows we were here. I don't know. I feel like that is just really harsh. Um, And I do wonder, just given this person's name, Dogura, if they are Vietnamese um, or if they have some familiarity with that part of the Mm -hmm. world, that would that would be the reason why they were chosen to stay specifically. It might be that he does die in the process. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I just kind of assumed Mm. that because it's it seems like it's a death sentence. Right. And. It's interesting to me because I think at this point we see the brotherhood moving from a thing of like they equate dying for the interests of the brotherhood to the exact same thing as dying for the creed. It's like a different thing of like when you say someone like die for your country because your country asked you to not die because you're standing up for the principles in which you believe your country should stand for yeah, absolutely. I do. I feel like those two things are completely different things. Um, and I think, unfortunately, we do, we we do in our world, not just in Assassin's Creed world, get those two things mixed up all the time, too. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're not asked to die for the Brotherhood when you join the Assassins. Like you're at the end of the day, you, you are. um, you are aligned to and you do have allegiance to the brotherhood but at the end of the day your your biggest allegiance is to the creed not the brotherhood so if if you have the mentor assassin like that the top dog who has now aligned themselves with the templars your duty as an assassin is not to go along with him or her it's to go along with what the creed says you should do right. in this situation. And that's what we see Altair do in this moment. Like Altair is basically like this mentor, this person who has basically raised me and I thought was a good person is actually behind the scenes. Now Mullen is a Templar and he's my enemy and he's corrupting the creed. He has to die. And I have to go against this. Whereas, like, I feel like in a lot of ways in the modern day brotherhood, not now, but like pre-Great Purge, is very much a thing of like, they're an establishment and it's like, I'm the mentor, so you do what I tell you. Right. And I do think we see this happen with groups, right? Like, when they grow and when they become more entrenched and established, this happens pretty often. But it is it, it you're right and i think it also speaks to their character when they are able to stand up like altair is a person of character multiple times in the series we see him going back and being like no you guys are doing it wrong <laughs> even though at the beginning when we're first introduced to him he's the one that's kind of done things wrong um and so i think very clearly that is a person who has a lot of character 
Um, unfortunately, there are other assassins, other Templars, other people in the series who don't have that kind of character. Right. And I think it would be an interesting thought experiment as we go on. And when we finish this, I think one of the questions we should try to answer is, was the purge an end to the assassin brotherhood or its rebirth? I'm not saying like the purge being a good thing or having that, but like, were there things that were that fell to the wayside? Had the Brotherhood come to a moment where it actually, in a way, needed to be reformed and go over something drastic? Yeah, I mean, I think it is pretty clear that there were things, even in Altair's time, that the assassins were forgetting um, about the creed about what it means to be an assassin. Um, and so I think that there is truth in what you're saying. I don't necessarily think the Great Purge was like the most ideal way to bring about that change. But at the same time, you know, if they needed something that drastic, what is ideal? Right, exactly. So back to the Bloodstone Union after that little detour. So after this, Posh takes the group north where they're ambushed by Gurbani. And after the conflict and an and a like kind of like intervention by Zania, who is pregnant at the time, they basically come to a compromise because they're also fleeing a deranged Julia who's trying to kill them all because she can't separate reality from animus. This is just like a bad situation gets worse. Um, who though is Xenia's baby daddy? Posh. I don't like that. Yeah. Um, so Julia eventually does find them in North Vietnam. And after a confrontation with Gervani, confrontation, Gervani and Donnie are killed. And in the process, Julia herself is injured, as is Zania. Posh and Zania then agree to take the apple that they have back to Harvey as they were supposed to do, even though they have both kind of become disillusioned with the CIA and don't necessarily trust them. They're like, well, we know that our, like the CIA will like at least give us our lives. So let's take the apple so we can live. So when they get back to the CIA and to Harvey, Zinnia goes into labor because they don't have enough drama. And Harvey reveals, at this moment, while Zania's in labor, he reveals to Posh that he is a traitor and a Templar. Surprise! And that Posh has been helping the Templars with revolutionary work on them on memory research. It is then that the one and only Dr. Warren Vidic enters and makes an interest holding Posh's newborn daughter, Natalie, and informs Posh that Zania died in childbirth. Posh then agrees to continue to help on their research in exchange for his daughter being able to live. And then Julia begins to work as on the CIA as a torturer, and it was said that it was better to die than endure her interrogations. Are you okay? I'm unwell. So, um... 
I will say this kind of feels like they had a cube or a dice of all the bad things that could happen in this story and they rolled it until they got every single possibility. Yeah, I think so. Like, <laughs> if it's not a good story. No, it's terrible. So I have some like interesting questions that we can kind of talk about, but I have the legacy and we can do that. So Julia would live on and be the mother of Maxine Gorm, who participated in the Great Purge. Great. And then Natalie would assist Vidic with his animus research until Vidic began to test on her at 13 years old. And after this, she would then steal the blueprints and give them to William Miles. I don't like anyone in this story. Right. But Natalie, interestingly enough, this is a little fan theory that I had going on that I don't know if it's confirmed or not, but we know that Warren Vidic tests Natalie on the Animus. We also know that the identity of Subject One is unknown. And that... Okay, hold on. I think you're going to say what I was thinking. Okay. Do you want to say it? Which is that... We can say it at the same time, but there's going to be a lag. You go ahead. Okay, I just was curious if Subject One, if the person that he tortured and experimented on is actually Xenia or Xenia. I mean, it's possible. Because this whole, oh, she just died in childbirth thing could be a really convenient way of just, like, basically using her. Well, because we know that Subject One's ancestors and the stories that they were able to ancestors or access from Subject One was Aveline de Grappe. Okay. So it would be interesting if there was some kind of like ancestry there, maybe. I don't know. I mean, Zaninia does not sound like a white person name. I'm just going to no, say. It doesn't. Uh, so but, was that what you were going to say or did you have another fan theory opinion? I was going to say that perhaps Natalie is subject one. Oh, okay. Yeah, that could um, be. Because, but she lives on, which we're pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that subject one, all the subjects other than Desmond are dead, except for Daniel Cross. But I guess I don't, I don't know that for sure. Yeah. But you said you had discussion questions? Yeah. I just kind of like thought about like, do you think this would have been avoided if it would have been sanctioned by the Assassin's Creed Brotherhood? Me personally, what do I think? Yeah. No, I think this Boris Pash guy is absolutely unhinged. And I think he would have done what he wanted to do, no matter the context or circumstances. Pash and Julia are the only members to live to old age. And they both go work for the Templars. Again, this is not an example of the cell tactic working well. Because let's see, what do they accomplish? They assassinate a Vietnamese president, plunging the United States into a conflict, not even like 10 years after the last one they were in. 
they assassinate a president that arguably would have done better than probably would have from what we know of history at least what he was planning what he did might have furthered the assassin goals more i feel like they make jfk kind of like this quasi templar puppet so they could say like hey not our templars aren't all conservatives yeah i think that's probably fair um it is hard when you when you again like we said last week it's hard when you have basically aligned the templars with the nazis like it's hard to give them redeeming qualities um right in that but yeah i don't know i do feel like sometimes they also just kind of say let's roll a dice if it rolls on one through three then they'll side with the Templars. If it rolls on four through six, they'll side with the assassins. And then they just come up with some w- weird way to justify it. Right. But it's interesting to me that like back in the sixties for, which kind of like brings my mind of like, how old is Warren Bennett? Yeah. Like if he is already a doctor at that point in time, able right. to deliver a child, He's got to be already in his mid to late 20s in the 60s. Uh-huh. That put him in what, 70s? In 2012? I'm going to look it up right now. I got to know. Okay, well, if I just, I did some math. So if he's 25 in like mid-1960s, so like 1965, then that would put him around 72 in 2012. I don't feel like he looks that old in the games no he but like again like when yep. is 40 so like in what- dragon age that's fair um but just kind of getting back to the bloodstone unit a little bit i ever since you said they were declared a terrorist group and i was like well are they actually terrorists and we were like okay we'll we'll revisit that at the end i'm like now i'm like yeah they definitely were terrorists at least boris for sure is a terrorist i don't know about the other ones they just kind of go along with him it seems except for um except for uh alexi doesn't really yeah. go along with him but yeah I, I would definitely classify them as terrorists for sure right and so like i think it's important to know that like no one has seen the American mentor at this moment. So like Gervani doesn't even know the American mentor exists. And so all he really knows is that we're operating as assassins. So the only leader he knows is Posh. And he sees Posh working with the CIA and doing bad things. I think it's, I think I would probably begin to doubt if he was going off the rails of the brotherhood too. Yeah, I think that's fair. But of course, of course, the director of the CIA is a Templar. Like an organization whose responsibility it is to spy on the world. Like, of course, they're a Templar. Come on. Yeah, and I would expect that for any, like, the intelligence agencies of any country, I feel like, Mm -hmm. are totally infiltrated by Templars. It's their M.O., they would, yeah. I, I feel like they would be doing, they wouldn't be doing their jobs as Templars if they hadn't infiltrated those organizations. So yeah, that's the Bloodstone unit. Definitely an interesting group of people. 
Well, do we have anything else to talk about with today's topic? No, I don't think so. I think that's pretty much all we know and all we have. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We'll see you next time. listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at AC Lorecast. If you have any lore questions or topics to unpack, join our Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. It's the best place on the internet. You can also support us financially through our Patreon. Find us on patreon.com slash Assassin's Creed Lorecast. The Assassin's Creed Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode's description. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, make sure you give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. And always remember, Assassins, stay in the shadows to serve the light. Welcome to Three Count Thoughts. Let me introduce the crew real quick. Hi, I'm Maverick Stone. I'm Romer. And I'm Jaxus. Join us as we talk all things wrestling. Each week, we'll take a topic from the wrestling world, knock it around a bit, and then go over the week in wrestling from a strictly fan perspective. We can be found on all major podcast catchers. We can also be found at Three Count Thoughts on both YouTube and Twitter. Or you can send us an email using 3CountThoughts at gmail.com. Okay, are you ready? Ring the bell.